But then um, what happened was I did the whole album and then I started to remix the album. So I started to use beats. Um, there were some guys I was into, uh, a band called um, London Boys, Demon Boys. Um, they, they had this production company called Twilight Firm out of Tottenham and Tottenham in, in London. And I, I, I like their music. I love the way they put beats together. So I started to follow them and listen to the way they put their beats together. And I sampled one of their beats for Don't Be a Fool. And I said to them, look, I, if, if you let me sample your music, I will make sure that you get the productions uh, for the, the street mix. So I would sample some of their beats and then I would send, like, say, Karen Wheeler. When I did Karen Wheeler, I sampled, um, I may have sampled one of their songs or sampled a beat. I don't think I did it for them, but I made sure that most of the work that I did for the main street mix, these guys got the job. Um, and that was our little thing. So I'd sample some of their work and I would put their put them forward as producers as well. So they was like my, a part of my production team, really, because they could do them street mixes and they can really get the, the, the song popping, if you like, in the, in the clubs. So that was just taking off. And this whole thing happened so fast. It was like within six months, that whole thing was, was done and dusted. Um, and then I got mad. I got really upset that Jane and Steve had not... I mean, I just woke up one day. I said, wait a minute. We pay X amount, like 5000 probably, for demos in studio time. Here I am with this free studio and not one person turns up. I was so mad. I, I went into a meeting. I said, Tony, you got to call a meeting with these guys. So we had this big, huge meeting. And I, I basically went off. I went off at Jane. I went off at Steve. You know, you're losing focus. You know, you guys need to get it together. We need to get back in the studio. You got the best job in the world. Um, you know, the record company want you to make another album. And the last album didn't really have any singles for England. Watching you didn't do bad in America. Bachelor, well, uh, come see, come out. But it, no hot, like, top two, uh, I mean, top five or number ones in America, and definitely none here. And yet the record label are saying, we want another album. So for me, thank you. Let's have another opportunity. So I was bang on it, and I couldn't understand what they were doing. So I went off, and I... I think that that was the moment. I mean, that that particular argument, I think I threw some water at Steve because he was, you know, talking some craziness, telling me that um, loose ends was his, he was doing loose ends in his spare time or something like that. <laughs> so I was like, what the hell? I was drinking some water. <laughs> I'm like, are you crazy? Loose ends is the reason why you're even having this conversation. And it's passion, you know what I mean? For me, I'm, I, w I want us to go, I think this is just the beginning. So he's like, yeah, well, some of us got other things to do, you know, kind of thing. I'm like, oh, hell no. Anyway, we fought, argued, you know, I was rude. And I, I was probably out of line, you know, I said some bad things. I said some things that I wouldn't say now. You know, I called him the names and just told him to get his ass together, get his shit together. And, you know, I was really, really out of line. 
And I don't think he forgave me for it because about two days later, I'm driving down the street and I hear the band Loose Hands have just broken up. Oh my gosh. And I was like, oh, that guy. I was only trying to get him to come to the studio, but I guess I got mad and, you know, basically ended up cussing them out, the two of them. And so the next part of this story is really where it gets bizarre. Well, well I want to ask you about this record, um, Carl. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> Who sang on Cheap Talk? Because um, very Marvin Gaye kind of style. Right, right. Now, the whole Marvin thing is an accident. Don't ask me how that happens. Probably, I think, one day... Uh, yeah, a couple of things happened in my past, um, in my personal life, where Marvin was um, in the background. So that look, that um, that album, um, what's that big album that he had? Um, Let's get it on. I hate that record. Right, that record. I hate that song. Let's get it on. I hate it. I hate it. I hate it. And um, what happened was, one day I turned it over, and I heard some. Oh my gosh, these beautiful records. Come get to this. And just the way he handled the, the lead vocal and the background vocals. And I was like, I was in love with Marvin. I just thought, wow, this guy is amazing. And I think there was a little ballad on there where he sung, um, It's Too Late for You and I. And it re I think it made me cry. And I had a breakup um, with a young lady I was seeing. And I put the song on and it really made me cry. I really felt Marvin, you know, he was like he was singing my story, you know. And so, you know, and then I had another situation. One of my children, I was with the, mo the mother of one of my children. And, you know, she kind of, it was like one of those weak, one of, she had one of those record players that it kind of it started and got to the end and would get up and start again. All right. So we kind of hooked up one weekend. We had all the food and everything in the bedroom. We never came out of that bedroom for a weekend. The whole time she was playing the Leon Weir record, you know, the one he did with um, with Leon. What was it? Um, After the Dance or something like that. So in my head, that was indoctrinated somehow, stitched into my memory for every song on that album. Um, so... I wasn't really into singing. As I said, it was just really to help Jane out, um, just to finish the songs, basically. Someone to play, just do the second verse for her. Um, and then I started to get this thing, or what, you know, you sound like Marvin a little bit, or that song sounds like you went for a Marvin Gaye type of thing. But it didn't, I didn't ever go for it. It just, I guess it just was always there. and. Um, I found my voice in in that way, in, in that kind of um, smooth pruner type uh, thing. But I didn't mean for that to happen. And I'm not really a singer. So um, i just basically a musician that had to sing. So that whole cheap talk thing, uh, again, it didn't, was nothing to do with Marvin. But it's like when you step back and take a, a look from distance, it's like, wow, that does sound like something that he could sing um yeah. and, and again i did the uh, symptoms of love as well there's another track on there very short song that i wrote in spain um it's called symptoms of love and i um had the marvin approach on that 
um, more and more on that album, there's a, like Marvin-esque type of vocals, but none of it was intended. It was just, it was my time to sing and that's how it came out. And so um, I, I took the compliments, you know, I couldn't believe what people thought, wow, you, you sound like Marvin. So I always looked at that like a compliment, but after a while it kind of, it went against me because that sound <clears throat> became, that was like the end of soul, that of real, you know, R&B soul where the singer was free to do his own expression. And, you know, now we singers are not like that. Singers sing in the pocket, like totally like a rapper almost, you know, all their rhythms yeah. are the same. And, you know, you don't have that free rain to go all over the track and scream. And, you know, that them days are gone. So in that, in that respect, it kind of worked against me. But on that record, I definitely was getting some real natural vibes, you know, when I was in the studio. And very Marvin, yeah, I get that. I love that. But I didn't go for it. It just happened. And so yeah. it was, it was Well, also, also on the record, you mentioned, you know, the sampling. And so to me, I felt, you know, some hip hop influence coming into, you know, yeah. the mix, but also some New Jack Swing, too. Right, because one of my favorite um, musicians by all time is Teddy Riley. Um, Teddy Riley changed music, you know. He was like the new James Brown to a certain degree. Um, everything that Teddy Riley put his hand to when we were coming up was on point. And that kid, he's, he's a special man, you know. As a matter of fact, I'm now I'm realizing he's only about a couple of years younger, uh, younger than me. I thought he was like a kid but you know I, I get it now he, he was just short he, he he knew his business you know and i loved what he was doing um so a lot of that came out on that record i think on that there was a lot of jack swing stuff going on so i do yep. believe that teddy riley was a, one of the influences i think on that record yeah <laughs> it's well, only I, when i listen back to it now I, I see that but at the time i didn't think so i i had um <clears throat> cool modion recently and his records were produced by Teddy Riley. I mean, Teddy Riley was like a teenager when he was doing those. Wow, I see. He was a bit young. He was, he was about five years younger than us. So when we were doing Hanging on a String, he was probably about 18, 17. You know, so he was a little bit younger than us, but he was so talented. That whole um, New Jack Swim thing is something that... Um, I always lean towards like now I I do I like Timberland and I like um, the way how he 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 kind of does his hi hats and stuff and I think he's influenced a lot of the trap things that's, that's coming out and he took a lot of his influence from Jungle so you know it's like a full circle but I do get it and I, I there are people that I do follow and Teddy Riley was a person that could do rap and he could do soul. So I, I kind of liked where Teddy Riley was in terms of how we roll, rolled out his production because singers could sing on top of it, but moreover, rappers liked it. So, and the rappers, there was something about this rap music that was very intriguing to me. It was stuff that I heard, De La Soul, their first album, that big album that came out, I heard stuff going on in the background that I thought was just genius. And the simplicity of it um, and 
using older songs that are from a completely different genre, Carpenters and, you know, stuff, um, even Sesame Street songs and stuff that you could put and make a beat underneath it and make it current. That that was totally new. So that was fascinating, especially to a young programmer like myself with a Lin 9000. I was following Teddy as well because he used a Lin and, um, you know, I was all about, you know, I was in the, trying to be a part of the community. <laughs> and so, yeah, I, I wanted to make hip hop soul. I wanted to make stuff that a rapper could rap on. Um, and actually, I don't think I ever did actually get there, but yeah, it has got that type of ambiance to it. Like it's rap and it's soul because mainly, mainly because of Teddy Riley. I do love what he did with it. Well, and the soul to soul stuff that came out around that time, I think had that vibe too, um, except from across, across the Atlantic. And um, even on this album, Time is Ticking, kind of had a little bit of that soul to soul kind of feel. Yeah, yeah. Soul to Soul was a big influence um, when I was making that record because they, I mean, Loose Ends didn't get the airplay, but I think sometimes um, when you manage to become successful, but you didn't get the um, notoriety that you should have, it makes it easier for the next guy to come along. Because, you know, it's an injustice, really, that Loose Ends didn't get number one or didn't get airplay. But for the next band, it's like they can't really pull that off twice. You know, you got to, you know, if you did listen to Loose Ends, you got to hear Soul to Soul. Because it was basically like a repackaged, you know, um, added some frills to it and big hit record. But it was very much like what we were doing. So, and people loved it. So there was no going back on that. Couldn't stop Soul from having, you know, they couldn't do the same thing to them. So it was just great that they were able to monopolize on the groundwork that we had, we'd put in, and they didn't have to go around and do all them silly little radio um, stations that we did. Their songs were being played on national radio, and it was it may not have happened to us, but it happened to our music. So in that sense. I felt very close to Soul to Soul, and I love Jazzy B. I love what he was doing. I love Karen. I love what she was doing. Karen nearly ended up in in Loose Ends actually, because uh, there was a moment in in Loose Ends where uh, Steve and Jane weren't getting along at all, and Steve was telling me, "Listen, man, you better go and get your girl." So I was like, "What are you talking about? Get my girl?" He said, "Your girl," because basically what happened was Jane refused to sing on. There was one nightmare session that she refused to sing on one of the songs in Real Chucky Boo. And it was the Mr. Bachelor at the end of it when it goes, you owe me, you owe me, you owe me. And the next song comes in. Jane wouldn't sing the end. She got into some sort of argument with Steve and she wouldn't sing it. So what we did is the next day we went and got Karen. Uh, Karen Wheeler, uh, Claudia Fontaine, and Naomi, the three of them, they used to be a, a group, a girl group called Aphrodisiac. And they came in and they sung them, you owe me, you owe me. And they loved it. They they killed that part there. So that part of the record is Karen Wheeler. And just and she wasn't in Soul to Soul at that point. So we went back 
to America to mix that album. And Steve used to whisper in my ears, I think you better go and get your girl. And I, he was talking about Karen. So when we got back to England now, it was too late. That's when we heard the first Soul to Soul record. And Karen was already, you know, joint. She was on Virgin. She was, in fact, she was looking for her own record deal because she wasn't a part of the group Soul to Soul. She was just a singer then of that record. But yeah, she nearly ended up in loose ends. If she had not joined Soul to Soul, I swear to you, that would have been Jane's replacement in, in loose ends. But nah, it didn't work out that way. You, um, you mentioned um, um, Five Star. Yes. So what was your involvement, relationship? What's the story with Five Star and you? Okay, so Five Star... Well, we were doing the PAs, as I said, when we used to um, release our songs. And we played at this place called the Lyceum in London. And just as we were leaving, um, this band came on. And they, when they came on, they were dressed like, they looked like something out of um, an action movie. They had these jumpsuits on with the numbers up here, five up here, and it looked colorful, it looked white, and there were these oranges and leg warmers. And then they did the, they went into their routine and it was all, everyone was doing the same move. It looked very professional and they looked, they were very pretty girls. And just as we were leaving, we thought we slayed that performance. We were, Erskine Thompson was with us and we was like, yeah, that was a good performance. And then just as we were, walking out the door, he stood, Erskine, and he stood watching the, the show. So he was like, Erskine, come on, man, come on, let's go. Let's go and get something to eat. And he was like, um, hold on a minute. And he was watching them. So he said, you know what that is, don't you? So I said, uh, no, I don't know. I don't know that group. So he said, yeah, that's, that's trouble. That's trouble. That is trouble coming your way. <laughs> so I'm like, really? So then the next thing we know, um, we go into, we, we get called into a meeting at Virgin. And basically, when we get there, Nick Martinelli is there. Like, he's flown all the way from Philadelphia. We didn't even get told. He's in the office, and he says, look, I want you guys to help me to produce this group. I said, which group is this then? And he says, Five Star. So Erskine jumps up. He's like, no way. No way. You're not producing that group. No way. But Erskine wasn't really solid management. He just worked with the group. So he was asked to leave the meeting. And um, Nicky was like a king then at Virgin, you know, because of what he did with us. And um, it turned out that we uh, was asked to, first of all, uh, Steve's cousin wrote the song All Fall Down and Let Me Be The One. He's a very good pop writer. Um, Ian Foster, his name is. So he wrote those songs and um, we just basically arranged it. And Nicky asked us to arrange the song. And we arranged it in the way that we would do our own songs. And so when you hear um, All Fall Down and Let Me Be The One, you're basically hearing a loose ends record, but just with them on it. Uh, but it was recorded in England, but it was mixed in America. But um, yeah, it's basically those are loose ends records. 
I wish we had done them on our, our album. <laughs> All Fall Down is a very different song, you know, when I heard it. But I do, I, I remember Steve Nichol was playing the bass line with his right hand. And he was drinking a beer at the same time. And he, and, uh, he was talking at the same time. So I was wow. like, wow, this guy. And then when it's I multitasking. Looked, <laughs> yeah, when I looked at the tape machine, it was red. So he was recording. He had the red button was down. I was like, this guy is such a serious keyboard player. And then at the end of it, you know, he would think that was nothing. But, you know, that was when he was really focused. He could do that. You know, Steve was like a tape recorder. He was like a sequencer. <laughs> you know, he could just play it live. And that helped our sound because we could do that sequencing sound on the bass and then on stuff. Um, but it wasn't sequence. It was human. So it wouldn't be so rigid. It would be a little bit looser. And it gave our sound a little fatness. And that was good. But we did that five star jane didn't get involved in that she didn't like when we worked with her. Were, were they were they all siblings five star all siblings yeah yeah doris and uh denise um and the two boys stedman i can't remember the, uh, the and are they from are they are they american or from a different country or uh, english they're english yeah yeah they're english um you wouldn't think it i mean they they're so, they studied, they studied. Their father used to be, um, used to play guitar with Wilson Pickett and some big stars. Um, but he didn't want his, his kids to be in the music industry. So they practiced without him knowing. And they had to get it. A bit like my parents, really. They had to get it so good that he couldn't say no. So that's why they made all the costumes and everything. They're trying to kind of be like a female Jackson Five kind of. Oh, definitely, yeah. definitely. And it, you know, that's that's the only thing I think. If they had kept away from that, I think it would have been a lot bigger. Um, but they really were that whole Jackson Five debarge. You know, they fit right into that, which yeah. at, at, at the time it was acceptable for you to do that you know in fact it was good that you could do that five star a great group though i mean one thing that makes groups great is being able to do what they do wherever they are so you know a band like oasis they can just plug in in your front room and they can do oasis right there and then um you know a lot of the big big bands can do that and five star they can do that they can just do you know you put on the tape recorder and they will sing just like the record and do those dances right there in your front room if, if need be, which is great about them. But it was very funny. It was funny working with them, though. I mean, their dad doesn't, he, you know, he, if you're talking to one of the girls, he'll say to one of the other guy, can't find out what he's talking about. <laughs> he didn't let them off the lead at all. And, you know, it was funny. He's a funny guy, Buster. Funny dude. Well, how, how how old was the oldest one at that point when you worked with him? Well, the oldest one is a guy. I think he, Stedman, he's about, uh, I think Stedman, he's about, at the time, I think he was 17. Then there was the girls, and the girls were really young. One was 16, one was 15, and I think one was 13 or something like that. Yeah, so you had to really keep track of them. 
Yeah, definitely. Yeah. 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 And I think so, the youngest was Delroy. Um, he's that was a boy also. So Carl, we've been talking a couple hours now. I don't want to keep you all night. I really appreciate all the time. But um, you know, what it what what took place from loose ends until uh, very recently, if, if anything that you're you're particularly proud of that you'd like to to highlight? Well, as I said, um, recently uh, I was in a coma, and when I came out of the coma, I had just so much music in me. We we didn't discuss that on air, so you might just want to. Oh, oh, okay, sorry. Yeah. yeah. So what happened was. I didn't write nothing for about 30 years um, from 1990. So from the album, Look How Long album, I did another record um, and it didn't get released because they couldn't clear the samples or they, they wouldn't clear the samples. But you know, we gave you some money and you should have done everything you needed to do out of that money. So then we sort of by 94, we parted ways. And I kind of took a bit of a confidence dive after that. So I didn't really do much for until 2000, I think we did Pete Rock. That was the next thing that we did, which was me and Jane, we got together for Pete Rock. He had asked us to do something and we went and did that. And then since after that, there was this talk, you know, Pete was trying to get the band back together again. He was very instrumental in that but it kind of backfired on me a little bit because I went to LA to work with Jane and, um, you know, we was, Steve came out there as well. And we was trying to, you know, see if we could, you know, rekindle the whole, the old flame and it didn't quite work. It was, it was just, it needed time to figure out who would do, who, who would be doing what, you know, it sounded very, um, sophisticated and, too sophisticated because times have moved on now and bass lines don't have more than four or five notes in and you know um keyboard parts don't have um songs don't have more than maybe two or three maybe four keyboard chords period you know um you know so steve and myself when we started playing together again it, it was a bit like a pissing contest you know like steve was trying to do his best chords and chord progressions and I was trying to do my best bass lines and it was just not gelling. So um, that kind of got shelved for a minute. But then Jane was in LA and she was really, she looked like she was running out of money, you know? Jane had gone, as I said, to uh, LA to live. Um, and what happened was she, she kind of um, put out a record. No, she did a record and they, they didn't pull any singles off of the project. So they shelved that project. So she was kind of stuck now. She was in America and nothing wasn't really going on. So when I got there, after the Pete Rock thing, I thought, let me just help her out. Maybe we could do some work together. And um, so we started to do a couple of shows. We did a few shows and she's like, yeah, can you come up and do a bit more? It would help me out. You know, I need to pay my bills and stuff. So okay. So I went over there and did a few more shows. Unbeknownst to me that she was carefully plotting to get the name so what happened was when i'm out there working with her she's got her secretly built up a team of people that were kind of managing her but 
she introduced them to me as friends. And, you know, I kind of went for it. I didn't know anyone. So next thing I knew, um, one of her best friends, a lady named Marilyn Bachelor, had registered the name. And so Jane kind of, it's kind of a stabbing in the back type situation because I'm here helping you and you're registering the name. So from that point, me and Jane have been sort of handbags at dawn a little bit. I mean, you know, we're kind of talking now and again, but um, it's, it's very hard to sort of sustain a healthy relationship with someone when they got kind of that sort of thing going on. Since then, I've not gone to America and I've not had any opportunities to, you know, gig um, where loose ends made the most impact. So I do kind of, I mean, I, you know, I get it. She needed to make some money. So I guess she kind of drew that card, but for me, it's a bad card. And for me, it's like, it's almost like the point of no return because sometimes when you break up, you can go back and work with each other. But if you have that type of situation going on, it's really hard and you have to sort of, you know, just kind of, you know, you, you're looking at people coming from gigs and going to gigs and saying, oh man, they were great, man. And you, you know, that was meant to be your gig there. You know, that's your music. And especially when it's like with myself, cause I played the bass, I played the guitar. Um, I did the production, I did the drum programming. I did, um, you know, all of this stuff. And even then, when the song was being mastered, I, I went to the mastering, all on my own, you know, they, these other guys, Jane and Steve, there was no, Jane's like buying stuff in Selfridges, Steve is, you know, down the pub or whatever. And, you know, then in the end, for that to happen in that way, it really, really burned me. So I didn't do anything for a long time. While this was going on, I couldn't be creative because I, could, could, I didn't know whether I could call it loose ends or not. Um, if I was creative. Um, so after a while, I decided to just see if I can just protect myself in England. So I started to buy the trade names and patent the name and, and stuff like that. And I kind of got it going to the point where I own it most mostly everywhere. Um, and still weren't making any music, but then um, earlier on this year, I had this cold and what happened was I went to hospital to get a nebulizer, which is like, they give it to asthmatics. It's like a air thing with the medicine in it. Breathing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've used, I've used it. And I just want to interject real quick that we were actually in communication then and we were trying to connect for this interview right. and when all that went down. Yep. Right. That's right. If, yeah. In fact... I think it was the same week, wasn't it? Something it was, yeah. yeah. And you, were, you were like, I just have some sniffles or something. Uh, we'll we'll right. do this in a couple of days. And then yeah. you went to the hospital. Yeah, yeah. I'd taken, um, so um, a new thing for me is that I'm so long to play bass again. And um, uh, I started to go church. And uh, when I went to the church, I realized I didn't have no no bass player, right? So I asked him if I could just come and play bass. And so they said, yeah, wonderful. And um, so I started playing bass. And this is, uh, I think, 2018. So I was able to have a gig again every week. 
have a gig, you know, playing bass because programming is okay, but it does it gets boring after a while. And you do need to remember that you are that musician. So playing bass in church, it didn't matter that we were rubbish. We were really terrible as well. But it was great. I, I had a gig. But dropping home a lady from the church one day, she started to sneeze and cough. Before you knew it, you know, I was like, where do you live? And she was like, well, it's just 10 minutes down the road. Then we get 10 minutes. She'd be like, oh, another 10 minutes. And before you knew it, it was like half an hour drive to this lady's house. And she was in the back of the car, <coughs> coughing, sneezing. And when she got out and I drove back home, I said, you know what? Oh, I, I know this is going to be bad. Because to be in the car with someone with the windows up while they're coughing and sneezing for half an hour definitely means you're going to pick up something. And lo and behold, I picked it up. So um, it was maybe 48 hours. I think I'd spoken to you about doing this interview. And then I remember I was sitting, looking at the floor, like something ain't right. What was going on was I was breathing in oxygen, but I wasn't breathing out. You know, I wasn't, I wasn't, it wasn't turning into carbon dioxide. It was just staying in me and building up in my bloodstream. And um, I couldn't move. I just, it wasn't like an asthma attack. It was just, I couldn't breathe out. So then I went to the hospital and, and while I was in, in the hospital, I, both my lungs collapsed and they put me in the coma. So I was admitted to the ECMO machine. I don't know if they have that in America, but this, this machine is like, takes over your life and um whilst i was on the machine um i was having these wild dreams and um yeah so while i was having these wild dreams one of them was actually a girl that was telling me that i couldn't sing um and she was not impressed with me at all um and that helped to bring me back because every time they how these things work is they switch off the machine and your body kicks in but they switched off the machine a lot of times. I'm hearing as, as many as five or six times and my lungs wouldn't, wouldn't kick in. But because this girl was taunting me in this dream, telling me how horrible my voice was and saying, she was saying, well, sing something with my name in it then. She was, she was a nurse. And so I was trying to sing something with her name in it. And what happened was then the doctors had come to switch off the machine one more time and they heard me singing and they said, oh, my God, this guy's singing. He's using his lungs already. Switch off the machine. He doesn't need it. And that's how I came back. But I was delirious, but I had music in me. So since then, a whole bunch of things have happened. I've written over 150 songs. Um, I have my own label now. Um, I have uh, everything is just popping off at the moment. Um, the, the live um, shows are getting better and better each one. We're able to do more and more things. And um, as I said, um, I, I don't want to keep, I don't want to start boasting like, you know, oh, it's going to be great. It's going to be my year next year, but uh, I've got a funny feeling it's going to be good. You know, I just, I'll leave it at that for now. <laughs> you don't know about these things. If God, if God spares life and permits me to do it, I'm going to do it. And uh, I've got some great things in the pipeline. So, well, yeah. What kind of performances are you doing? Are you doing any loose ends tracks? Yeah, I'm doing um, loose ends live. We do all the tracks, we do the whole loose ends thing. We do the, the stuff that uh, I don't think Jane 
when she does live. I'm not sure if she does Don't Be a Fool and all these songs, but we do the whole Look How Long thing. <clears throat> Excuse me. The Look How Long album. So we do songs from that. We do songs from, you know, most of I mean, I can do the whole thing if you like, but, you know, it'd be boring for most people in England. Um, but in America, I'm sure when I get to America, I'll be doing a lot of um, slower songs like You Can't Stop the Rain. Um, Watching You, we don't do that here. Those songs never really were big here. Um, Bachelor was never really big here. But we can do them live. And we we got this whole routine about Bachelor, which is so funny because the whole thing is about a guy that's got a load of women. Um, I, I sing with two girls and they end up beating me up. Because... <laughs> Because, you know, I'm the bachelor. It's kind of like a pimp thing. You know, I've got girls on, on lock, so to speak. But um, they uh, teach me that that's not the way to be. <laughs> it's a funny routine. But, yeah, we do live. We do full live. Um, there's only six of us on stage. And we, we, we kind of, we get the whole thing popping off as, as good as we can do. And I think you'd be, you'd be surprised to see the show. It's quite a nice show. I mean, I don't want to say that. When you get a minute, go online and you'll see pieces. That is fantastic. So glad to hear, you know. Also uh, nice to hear because, you know, I thought, well, you know, if Carl doesn't want to do the interview, I don't know that he has to say that his lungs have collapsed, you know. But <laughs> but anyway, I'm just glad to hear yeah. that. Uh, that you came back and you're doing music again. That's just great news for everybody. So, um, yeah, what's the space? Okay, because the music is really, really good right now. Better than I've done. As a matter of fact, I worked with. Um, there's a band called Booty in America. Um, I worked with one of the guys from the band, and he was like, "Wow, man, this is so easy, man. This is wicked." So I said to him, "You know what? I haven't written a song in 30 years." He was like, "What?" Like, yeah, these are the first songs I've been writing since uh, 1990. And so, I mean, it really is easy to write again. I don't know why, but something happened when I came through that coma. And I feel like a new musician and it really is it's beautiful. So I'm just embracing that and, you know, just hope hopefully it continues. When, when do you think you might come to the States? Ah, now I'm looking at dates for may i'm looking at dates in well next year we are going to be celebrating uh one of our anniversaries so it's going to be fifth, fifth anniversary of loose ends um uh hanging on the string it's the 30th anniversary of, of don't be a fool and so we're gonna you know come and and just have a great party over there in in many places I don't want to say where yet because I know the logistics are just going in now and some of it might not happen. And some of it will happen that I don't know about yet, but my people are backstage, as they say, working the whole thing as we speak. And I've got new kind of people working with me to get this done. And it's really, it's really nice to be on that level again. I haven't been on this level, I think, since Virgin but you know well you, uh, you have such a um, enduring legacy and just a very um loyal and appreciative fan base you know i've 
experienced that doing the show because I've heard, you know, from many that, you know, they wanted to hear the loose end story on the show. And, you know, uh, it definitely in the, in the social media world continues to, to thrive and, and be right. kept alive. And so it's so good that you're coming back to bring it to them again. Yeah. yeah. We're coming. <laughs> I mean, you know, um, the, my, my, actually it'd be great to have Jane and Steve up there. Um, you know, Jane, I, I'd come out and do look out along Steve. He's actually got, a, uh, he does, he's got a new album and he does a live set as well and um, it'd be nice to have him come out and do like three or four songs from his set and then jane come out at the end and do you know three or four songs of the from the loose ends from you know the big loose end songs that would be great for me but um no matter how many different times i've tried to do this thing with jane's people it kind of goes nowhere and i'm not blaming anyone but I, I just think, you know, it, it'd be nice if everyone just pulled together and make to make that happen because um, I think it's a very natural process for the band to come back together again and make money out of the songs that they they were making when they were young, you know. But we'll see. You know, you never know. I never know. How, how can uh, everyone keep up with what's coming and what you're up to and all that? Um... Well, I have a website now. Um, if they want to catch me, they can catch me at looseendsofficial.com. Um, and, you know, we, we post a lot there, a lot of stuff. Old photos that people have never seen before. Muse, new music is, is going to be on that as well. And we're even thinking about selling music on that, but we, we're not sure yet. <laughs> but, yeah, so we're, we're, we're there. We're on Facebook, uh, looseendsofficial.com. Um and they can hit us there, um, song kick for the gigs. Even Jane's gigs come up as well. Um, I ain't, I'm not bitter. <laughs> so, you know, we, we're trying to do this thing. And I'd love to do it together, all three of us together. But if we can't get that, then it's just going to have to be individually. You know, we'll try and do as much as we can do. Um, I, I know I can do the whole loose end set. I can do every single number because I was involved in them. Um, and hopefully, you know, we can find a way to do that with Jane and Steve in America. But if not, it's going to be me. It's going to be a British group in America. We're going to be celebrating 35 years um, of loose ends. And it's going to be a bomb. It's going to be a, a ball, not a bomb, a ball. <laughs> <laughs> well, in a way, too, I mean, it's it's high time for you to make up for the lack yeah. of thing you did back in the day, you know? Yeah, yeah. Might be able to make some money out of it. <laughs> Hopefully. That'd be nice. <laughs> what about any of those songs that you're writing? When when we might hear an album or something like that? Well, that's, that's imminent. So I don't know if I'll catch this year because I started so late. But definitely next year. I could get product out this year. So me and Eric, we were just talking about that because the, the idea is we'd have to move real fast. And I think this is probably the last month. If you haven't got anything out by the end of October, just really maybe just leave it till next year. So it's just basically debating because we have a show in November. And in order to prepare for that show, if I was making records in October, I would have to have a very good team to be doing those two things at the same time. So we're just trying to work out maybe we should be just left 
till next year and just come out big or you know put something out this year and it might be just a little splash i don't know is it going to be under your, your name or under what name loose ends it'll be as loose ends very yeah, cool yeah that's me yeah yeah i look forward to I mean, that everyone yeah, yeah definitely definitely um i want to ask you uh, before we uh part something for you to uh ponder a little bit all right um, as you look back on, on all this what would you say you're you're most proud of accomplishing uh as i look back on it there was a lot of proud moments but i do think the slow down and hanging on a string stand out the, the the creating those two songs because basically slow down is like another version of hanging on a string hanging on a string is a very curious song in terms of the um um the formula of parts the way they come together like verse sorry the arrangement so verse chorus chorus verse whatever it is it's a very peculiar song in that way and slow down it was almost like you can't do that again you will never be able to do another hanging on the string but slow down is in a kind of a funny way another hanging on the string to me so um it's definitely something that i might even try and come with again i might even try why not you never you never know i might even try and do that again so that those two songs are i think very funky but slow and very um laid back laid back funky and slow this is me really i love that yeah, there's a certain cool vibe to it yeah i like it's that. got a, like a cool vibe and a slinkiness yeah. you know yeah i yeah. love all that the little yeah. cheeky guitar lines and like yeah. you said the velvet the velvet yeah yeah that's the velvet that's my sound, and 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 also it's it suits Jane and it suits Steve um, at the time, and I think it's coming back now. I mean, they call it wavy. It's like they use it more in trap now, and it's like a waviness to it. But it, they just got these freaky hi hats jumping all over the place. But <laughs> other than that, the the actual waviness of it hasn't really moved, and I think um, that waviness is what I feel when I say the velvet, you know, the bass and female vocal i love all that love that wow <laughs> hey look forward so much to uh the new music to, to seeing you perform and um yeah. you know uh yeah. so glad that you're uh you're healthy and moving forward and gosh how, how what time is it uh, where you are right now i think viewers and listeners ought to know that what a night owl you are what is 2 30. 2.30 a.m. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's nothing for us. <laughs> and you guys pull all-nighters usually? Yeah, yeah. yeah. If it, I mean, it's not. we don't even call it that. If you're having fun, then it's just whatever it is. <clears throat> we would have ended normally, though, like around about 10, 30, 11 o'clock in, in any case. But because we knew that you were special, we said <laughs> we'll start this at 11 you know and uh, let's do it right because i i know this is something that i wanted to do i wanted to tell the story as much as i could do anyway but you know i was struck down 
So the opportunity came back. And yeah. I've really enjoyed it. Yeah. Well, I enjoyed it too. Thank you so much, Carl. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Hey, back at Truth and Rhythm headquarters. Thank you for joining us on another magical ride with Truth and Rhythm. Whether you're watching or listening, as always, thank you so much for your continued interest and support. Be sure to subscribe. Go to YouTube. Go to the Funkin' Stuff channel. That's where Truth and Rhythm lives and breathes and thrives. Also, goodies here like TIR Quick Takes. And if you subscribe, you know what? You get the show before anyone else. It's free. If you love jazz, funk, R&B, soul, you can't miss it. Pass it along. Tell a friend. Tell family. This audience is growing, and it is a beautiful thing, all coming together for the love of this great music. Also, if you can throw us a buck or two, we could use the support financially, keeping the lights on, keeping the servers going, all these expenses. If you can help support the program, whatever you can give, much appreciated. Go to the funkinstuff.net website, and on the right-hand side of every page, you just click and you can donate through PayPal, credit card, whatever. Very easy to do and so much appreciated. And if you do a sizable donation, I will mention you on the program. Also, drop me a line. Email me at scottg at funkinstuff.net. Let me know who else you'd like to see on the show, what you enjoy about the music. Let's just kibitz and uh, talk about stuff, you know, talk music. You'll find that I respond very quickly, and I much enjoy the uh, rapport and the camaraderie and the interaction. Always remember, this is your show, The True Music Lover. So for now, that's all the time we have for this one. It's a wrap. As always, Scott Dr. GX Goldfine saying, keep on vibrating to the rhythm of the one. <laughs>